Welcome to the Mind Your Own Revisions podcast, where it's all about preventing and overcoming burnout, as well as fostering mental and emotional well-being in academia. I'm Özgün Ünver, burnout and well-being coach for academics. My mission is to inspire, educate and empower you on your quest to find true and lasting resilience, energy, balance and fulfillment in your work and life. Hello, hello everyone, academics, ex-academics, Altax. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Own Revisions podcast. Today I have a very special guest, Dr. Danielle de Lamar. And uh, she's a career wellness coach, specifically working with academics whose careers have taken over their lives. I think we are all very familiar with this notion. And she uses mainly the mind-body work, and she leads her clients through the regulation or re-regulation of their nervous system so today we are going to talk about her story how come she ended up as a coach and what does compassion mean for her because uh, her podcast is named the self-compassionate professor and then we will dive deeper into the question of the nervous system and how do we regulate it so danielle Welcome to the podcast and thank you so, so much for agreeing to be interviewed by me this time on the other way around. It's my uh, pleasure. Oh, I'm so happy to see you here. Like we were just talking before we started recording that we are in the, on the different sides of the ocean and we can still connect and feel similar things and do similar things and serve similar people right so so good to see you it's so good to see you and it's been six months since we last talked and I remember that conversation well it was um it was a good conversation it felt um it I think we got into some things that are so often not talked about in academia um you know you you were talking about burnout I remember um, just like, I, I mean, I guess I just really enjoy talking about the things that people don't want to talk about. <laughs> and I also really like talking about the mind-body connection piece. And we talked a lot about that in that interview that you were on with me. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much for having me at that time. And uh, it's great that we can continue the conversation. But yeah, I must say that that podcast with you was one of the uh times I was most vulnerable with my experience around burnout so although I am someone who's trying to bring this into conversation everywhere it's still not so easy to be so open about like everything that happened and sky's the limit to vulnerability actually we can keep exploring and go deeper and deeper well thank you for doing that I forgot that was the first thing I think I started with what's your story and you were like wow you said something like (laughs) where do I start starting off so easily Danielle (laughs) (laughs) yeah and let me ask you the same question now okay (laughs) I want to ask you whether you could tell us a bit um more about your own journey uh, 
because I know that you also mentioned at that time that you also had a burnout. So whether you're uh, able to share with us a bit, like how that felt like, how, what happened, and then how did you end up as a, as a career wellness coach for academics? Right, you teach what you need to know yourself. I really, really okay. believe that. Yes. Um, okay, so how do I even start? Um, I will say that all through PhD school, I was addicted to work and I could barely, I could barely leave my computer. Um, my husband would want me to go to dinner <laughs> or go to a movie or, you know, go to a little get together with friends. And that I always got panicky when he would suggest going somewhere because that meant tearing myself away from my work. Um, I even remember like a Christmas morning um, where I snuck into my home office and started working and he came in and he's like, are you kidding me? You can't take one day off. And um, there was always this sort of tension around my work. Um, and I always just thought, you know, I like working, it's fine. Like he needs to just get over it, right? It was that kind of feeling that I had, um, but it continued to get worse. And when I got my tenure track job, that was like the end all be all. I was like, I have a tenure track job, I am, I don't know. I, like that is my ultimate dream. I will do I anything. I made it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I I will do anything. I will go anywhere for this thing. Well, my husband, because I was so like adamant, like we're leaving. It's in Michigan. We live in Colorado. We're going for my job. And he had to leave his tenure track job. He was about to go up for tenure and he had to leave his job so I could take this. Um, which is at the time, I mean, it was a huge sacrifice on his part. And I, I don't think I really gave him, I, I, I don't, I didn't give him any credit for it, you know? Uh, and I feel really bad now as I think about all of this, but, um, it was just like the only, it was, it was that whole idea that my only focus was on work and, um, I got there, I got to the university there. I worked hard. I did all the stuff I'd always done. And it was very typical for me, shake with anxiety. Mm. Um, but I didn't think that was, I don't know. I didn't think about it as like completely abnormal. I just, my heart, my, my chest would thump often. Um, I would have shortness of breath often. Um, I just, I, I, it would have taken time for me to turn into myself and take care of myself and acknowledge myself. And I didn't have the capacity to create that kind of space for me. Yeah. <sighs> so I, um, at some point, uh, it was after my daughter was born because I was there for the first year and the second year I had a baby. And the second year, I really started to lose it because I didn't just have my work addiction. And now I had a baby and my work addiction. So it's pretty bad. Oh and uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. And that's the moment I thought, 
I am, I think I might be burned out because I don't feel like pushing anymore. I don't feel like fighting to work anymore. I, I feel exhausted and I feel, uh, I feel shut down and paralyzed. And that's when I really started to feel it. And so then I started doing things like yoga and then that led to meditation. And then I started taking meditation classes. And then I started teaching my students meditation. And those were great. And they helped a lot in those moments. <laughs> but I didn't know how to bring that practice into my work life. Um, so that's all it was. They were just like little breaks. They weren't like a new way of being in the world, which I've had to learn to do since then. Anyway, I, okay, so I don't know, where am I on all of this? Um, uh, you were feeling, you want me, and then, yeah, and then you were talking about, you started yoga, meditation, teaching meditation to your students and all of that, yeah. Okay, and so I'm trying to think, the question was about, um, yeah, okay, I, I, it hit me in a faculty meeting one day that I didn't want to be an academic anymore. Um, it just came out of nowhere. I was like, you know, I think I want to be a coach. And that sounded, what? I, like, I, I heard that in my mind and I thought, what, what are you even talking about? <laughs> um, uh, what does a coach even do, Daniel? What are you, what? I mean, the only coach I knew of was Martha Beck and her column in O Magazine and Oprah Magazine. And I remember I used to read that and joke about how ridiculous she was and how ridiculous her work was. But now I suddenly felt like I wanted to do something like that. Um, it was this like feeling of, I think, wanting to be more connected to people um, in a way I wasn't in my academic work. Um, so then I got a cancer diagnosis, not that much longer after that. And um, that's when I really, started craving being connected to people. The first thing I did after I got the diagnosis, before I knew anything about what was about to happen to me, I went, I went to Starbucks and I got a, I got a coffee in the drive-thru and I paid for the person behind me because I just wanted to be connected to that person. And how American am I? That cracks me up that I went to Starbucks and I, it's making me laugh. Um, but anyway, I, I wanted to be even connected to the person behind me and the crowd behind me. Um, I suddenly wanted to be in touch with my friends. I was calling them. I was um, wanting to be with my daughter. Normally, you know, before when I was being worked addicted I would kind of try to push her off on my mom or anybody I could so that I could get work done um, but suddenly I wanted to be connected to her I wanted to be connected to my husband I, it was just this this flow of connected energy and that that Beatles song all you need is love love that was just going through my head during that time constantly I didn't know if I was gonna die or not right like I had cancer and I had no idea what that was, what was going to happen to me. And I just wanted to be connected, right? Like suddenly the things that mattered became very, very different. Uh, so then I was about to go to a mindful self-compassion training because through my meditation work, I had found this mindful self-compassion stuff. I had signed up for it, 
I got the cancer diagnosis. The next week I was going to the self-compassion training. My husband was like, don't go. You have to stay. You have to have this appointment with this oncologist. And um, I, I just, I felt like I had to go. I was like, well, what's a week going to do? You know, how long have I had this? Um, a lot longer, a lot longer than I knew I had had it. So I thought, well, might as well, <laughs> might as well go. And my husband did not like it. He was so upset, but I did it. And the first I, I went, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Chris Germer and uh, Kristen Neff's work. Kristen Neff is the, yes. she does the mindful self-compassion stuff. And Chris Germer is sort of like her, um, he, he's a, he's a clinician and they're, they work together. I, they created the mindful self-compassion program together. Anyway, he was the one that was leading this program that I went to. So I got the cancer diagnosis. The next week, I was at a mindful self-compassion, intense mindful self-compassion workshop. And he, the very first thing he said, he had us meditate. And the very first thing he said was, many of you may be going through a lot right now. And I just I collapsed because I could really turn into the fact that I had cancer and I had been, you know, pushing away my family and my friends for years, and it was just really intense. And, and the whole week, all I could do was, it was, it was about being with myself for the first time ever, perhaps. <laughs> well, I guess that's not true, because I did go to a two-day workshop, self-compassion workshop, a couple years earlier, um, and that was very... Um, um, intense and what, what's the word uh, transformational but not in the way this one was because I had the cancer diagnosis and then I went for a week um to this thing and it was amazing I journaled a ton I spent all this time by myself and really got in, getting connected to myself and really figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do. And that, that sense of wanting to be a coach became even bigger and stronger. And um, yeah, I, I had a lot that I had to do when I got home after that, you know, I had surgeries, I had uh, all sorts of things that I had to deal with. Um, but I knew at that time I wanted to be a coach and I knew what I, how I wanted to um, at least start the next step. If I, were given the opportunity, the, the gift of life so that I could do the next step. I just wasn't sure if I was going to have that or not. So yeah, that was a really, really long answer. Um, oh, that yeah, was a I, great answer. And thank you for your openness and for sharing these with us. It's, it's really, uh, yeah, sounds like a wake-up call, right? Many of us go through life like this especially in academia and then something like this happens or, or we lose someone or we have such a health thing come up and the whole thing goes like why am I even doing this right exactly and I will say to those of you who are like about to go up for tenure I was about to go up for tenure and um I didn't care if I got tenure or not by that point, because it, it, it didn't matter. It wasn't one of the things in my life that mattered anymore. But I got to say, I created 
the best um, dossier. Um, like my, my narratives were better than they'd ever been. My committee was so impressed. Like I had to make very few revisions. I got tenure pretty easily. Um, and it was not caring as much and just sort of speaking from my heart when I wrote out my narrative. Um, and so I, I just want to be really clear that you can have a really successful academic career without pushing yourself, right? Um, and that's exactly what I did not do when I went up for tenure. I did not push myself, probably for the first time in my career. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so interesting that you, you mentioned um, this connection piece that uh, you were missing and when it hit you during a faculty meeting that you don't want to be an academic anymore and you want to be a coach. I can so relate to that. Is, that was also one of the main reasons that I said, okay, this is not for me. I don't want to live like me, myself and my computer looking at the screen, analyzing data, like, I don't know, saying stuff. I don't know who is listening. I want to be with real people, solving real people's real problems, or at least help them solve it themselves. Let's put it that way. That kind of connection. I think many academics are missing that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned is that at that time, you didn't have the, the capacity to take care of yourself. And that uh, brought this question in my mind, like, is it like, yeah, how do you care for yourself? Do, did you even know how to care for yourself? I mean, besides having the capacity or not, to be very, very honest, the work addiction, I can also relate to, and it is still ongoing for me. I think this work is lifelong for many of us. And although I am also helping academics to get out of that work addiction and to care for themselves and all, it's constantly a work that I need to do. So let me ask you, as a coach, how do you care for yourself as an academic or, yeah, as a, just a person? And, uh, yeah, how, and how do you know what to do? Um, I, uh, so this, uh, this goes back to the coaching work I do with clients. I do the same thing for myself. Um, I'm always trying to regulate my nervous system. So before this call, people don't know this, but before this call, um, I had had like a tough morning. And so we got on, Oskun and I had gotten on and we were like, and I was like, do you mind if we meditate really quick? Because that was a way to bring myself. Yes. And the, the whole thing this morning where we met, the two of us meditated together. Um, this is something that I try to do regularly now. <clears throat> I check in with myself all the time. Like I'm talking several times a day and I'm like, how am I doing? Am I in fight flight? Am I in freeze? Like, what do I need to do to nourish my nervous system? And that has been huge um, because before, like I said, you know, I would just be my heart thumping all the time, a lot of anxiety, and I would <clears throat> just keep moving through my day. Um, and not take any space to have those little moments of, of witness to what was going on with me. Um, and so that is the main thing I do. And it is a lot of commitment. <laughs> it's a lot of discipline. 
Um, and it is so much better. Life is so much better now because I do it. Whew, so much better. And I'm not saying I do it all the time. There, there are days that I just like forgot, right? And I'll be like, oh, I got in fight flight and the whole day I just kind of stayed there and I feel terrible. And I recognize that I feel terrible and I'll be like, what did I do differently? Oh, I didn't check in all day. That's what I did differently. Yeah, yeah. But perfection is never the, the goal anymore. No. No. <laughs> so it's okay. We are human beings. We forget things and sometimes we indulge in certain emotions that we know that they're not really productive for us doing anything good for us, but we're like, yeah, but it's that addiction to work. It's just you cannot not do it. And it feels like the and when I now that I really notice what my nervous system is doing, I can feel a real pull in my chest that is just urging me to work. Come on, come on, work, 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 work. And I can't like break it. And I, and I will have this witness inside of me that's like, Danielle, you see what you're doing, right? And I still will tell her to be quiet because I'm working, right? Um, and so like breaking that addictive, uh, sort of sensation that bodily sensation is really it's really hard work but man does it pay off it feels so good when you're like no I'm gonna stop this now because I can't do it um, right now my body needs something else and I will tell you inevitably like yesterday I went for a walk I was like I'm gonna go for a walk and it, even though you know my mind and my work addictive way wanted to keep working I was like, no, I'm going for a walk. Um, I could feel that's what my body needed. I go for a walk and what happens? I just have all these great ideas yeah. and I get back and do the work that I was working on before and it flows so much easier. It quickly flows out of me. I actually complete the project and that is not something that would ever have happened to me before. Like work was always a grind and hard and so much self-pressure. And it doesn't have to be like that. I promise you to the listeners out there, it does not have to be like that. Oh, definitely, totally. And for, for many people, taking the time off to have a, like a short walk or to, to close your eyes for a bit, like checking in with yourself or processing emotions that are coming up or planning, they all sound like, yeah, no, that's a waste of time. I should just go for it and just do the thing. And but no, the work that you produce is not directly correlated with the time you spend on it and with the grind that you put into it. it there is a better way. There's an easier way, you know? A 100%. And I will say I was not a very productive academic. And you would think I was because of how addicted I was. I was not, I wasn't, I did not produce much at all. And I was always um, pushing to get things done and they wouldn't go anywhere. Or, you know, I would stop a project and then try something else. And it was just such an inefficient, terrible way to work. I was never in the flow ever. And again, nervous system, right? I was in fight flight the whole time. When you're in fight flight, you can't, you, you, you can't be creative. You can't be connected to yourself. You cannot be connected to your ideas. 
you can't be connected to other people because by the way, other people will also bring good ideas to your work. And you know, when we sort of sworn off other people because we need to work, that that's not helpful. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a great intro to the next question I have for you, because I know that you work mainly with nervous system. So this mind-body work that you do with academics, uh, guiding them through their career. So um, you help them regulate or re-regulate their nervous system. But first, I want to ask you, like, what throws our balance off how do we become dysregulated in the first place and then we need this work to come back to a more regulated nervous system and maybe for the people who don't know we can talk a bit more about this you know the fight flight and, and freeze and the, the social connected and the rest digesting yeah yes um, okay, so I do polyvagal informed coaching. So it's based on polyvagal theory and um, sort of it's like a hierarchy. So at the top is your connected, calm place. You feel social in this place. You feel like caring for yourself too, right? You're connected to yourself. You're connected to other people. Like actually caring for yourself is something you want to do. So I'll just say to listeners out there, you know, if you're going through your semester and you never feel like caring for yourself, that's a good sign. You're not in that, that nice, calm, connected state. Exactly. But then well, that, that's, down. Oh, you need to care for yourself in order to also to survive, right? It is, it, it comes as a result of the willingness to survive and beyond survive thrive in the world because we also have that instinct right 100 percent. yes and you really feel you want to do that for yourself when you feel connected yeah. um but then when you go down the to the next sort of rung of the hierarchy that's when you're in fight flight and every like we're all going to go through these like because the the bottom one is freeze um and of course like i go into fight flight i was in fight flight this morning um, but then I can bring myself back up, right? And so what happens to academics is we stay in fight flight for way, 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 way too long, right? It's this like energy of, um, I think I've used the words uh, self-pressure and pushing. And I, one of the things I used to do is I would, I'd be on campus and I would, I would seriously look down the hall to make sure nobody was coming down the hall who'd want to talk to me if I wanted to hurry and go to the bathroom and then come back to my office and continue to work. Um, and so that's, that's very flight energy, right? Like I'm trying to avoid people so that I can work. Um, so anyway, if you're in this fight flight place and you stay there too long, which is what I did, um, at some point your mind body system is like, I can't do this anymore. And you dip into freeze. And that's when you're in total shutdown. This is burnout, um, at least the way I experienced burnout. Just this, like, I cannot, and I always use the example of, I could, I could not, I literally, I could not lift my head to send an email. I could not do anything um, when I got to that point. Um, and so, um, so this is sort of the work I'm doing. I'm trying to get people to recognize when they're in that 
that fight flight state so that they don't move into freeze. But if they are into freeze, <laughs> right? Like let's figure out what, what ways we can nourish your system so you can get back to that calm connected place. And actually, even if you got back to fight flight, that would be a little bit of an improvement. Exactly, right? <laughs> because yeah, at yeah. least then you have the, the, let's take the example of fight, fleeing from a tiger that's chasing you. At least you're not like shut down waiting for your death to be as painless as possible. You have the energy again to start running away from the tiger, even that's an improvement. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, that's what I try to do. I try to get my clients to recognize that. And it's really hard when you are constantly in fight flight to have to stop and connect to yourself and think about like what the sensations are in your body. And I will often, what I'll often do is I'll have them send me uh, voice memos. This is how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling panicked or I'm feeling whatever. And this is how it's showing up in my body. Um, but just that little, that little um, check-in is going to make such a big difference. And especially if you're doing it all the time. Exactly, exactly. I'm also trying to do similar work with my uh, clients and starting from feeling the feelings in their body, the physical sensations, the, those visceral, like the heat, cold in the body, oh, where is my, where am I sitting? How does it feel? Is it soft, hard? And then the, the emotions that we have, okay, is it panic? Is it fear? Is it what degree of fear is it? And uh, yeah, even that is so difficult for many of us because we are used to living so disconnected from all of that because feeling all of that means that, yeah, we need to stop working, right? We need to just tend to ourselves and we just say, okay, I don't have time for these emotions right now to deal with my fear or anxiety or whatever. Just go until it breaks. And that's, that's the moment of burnout. The, 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 maybe for some people it's the intersection of fight, flight and freeze. For some people it is the freeze. It's, yeah, but it's definitely a terrible place to be. And I, I mean, I think you said it when you said, you know, I don't have time. I don't have time. That is, that was always my thing. Like I was so afraid of time. I've got to keep going because I don't have time to not like really. And I, and I would say to, to listeners, what is the worst that could happen? Honestly, if you don't get this thing done in the next two minutes, the two minutes it's going to take you to check in with yourself, like what's really going to happen. Do you really not have time? Yeah. It's not true. You do have time. 100%. Yeah. 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 I think you use the time excuse a lot because because it, the most important thing is that you, you said this in the beginning, like before all of these things happened and before the cancer diagnosis and everything, you're like, okay, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. And then once you get the diagnosis and you, you have to face your mortality, that's when, you, when the time becomes a question, right? And then that moment where time came as this like real limited potentially limited thing and the result it had in your life like bringing you on the other side complete 180 degree turn yes where you had the time now 
to go in that's so mind-boggling I must say yeah and I would one of the things I would say to people just based on my experience is if you were if you knew you were going to die tomorrow what would you regret right and that's when you're really going to find your values that's really where where they lie like are you happy living your life as it is you'll know if you really imagine what it's going to feel like to die to know you're going to die tomorrow then you'll know if you're really happy with your life or not yeah Yeah. so important but okay i don't want to like sound like a an ass (laughs) i need to put this uh, put this uh, as explicit language uh, (laughs) podcast in this episode (laughs) but to tell the truth some people are angry at me when i mention burnout being a gift depending on the way you look at it so i see it like that now what what happened to me i'm i'm grateful for the experience otherwise i just wouldn't stop i would just be this this unhappy person doing those things and not come become this version of myself so knowing that you went through burnout and a cancer diagnosis and also all of those those surgeries and and everything yeah what what do you think when you look back like uh, what what are your um thoughts or takeaways from it like do you have ah yeah damn it it was terrible uh time like in the in form of resentment or regret or like oh yeah I don't want to look at it at all or is it okay but I it brought me so much and um yeah yeah I I mean I definitely think of it as a gift in the same way um and I have gotten to the point where I can feel compassion for that woman who was going through all of that and didn't know how to handle it and that that's a big deal to be able to look at her and all the challenges she brought to my life right and say you know I you were doing your best you thought you were supposed to do it this way and you know that's okay you know I still love you I still am so glad you did the good work to become who you are now right that that feels really powerful to me yeah yeah and I was wondering, did you have a coach at that time? I did. Through these. Hmm. During the cancer diagnosis, I did. And did it um, help you like uh, clarifying your thoughts about becoming a coach yourself? Or like, I, I do believe that everyone needs a coach, actually. <laughs> I definitely get coaching regularly. Yeah. Uh, so that's. I totally believe in what I'm doing so I do it too and I was wondering like how you um, experienced coaching yourself Mm. I I guess I used coaching to deal with um, the cancer diagnosis um, uh, to sort of hold myself in um, a kind compassionate way so that I could go to the doctor's appointments, so that I could hear the news, so that I could, uh, it was just like somebody to sort of hold my hand and hear me 
while I suffered through this really, really difficult time. Um, that's how I experienced it. And I, I think that's kind of how I see coaching, right? It's, it's like somebody, a coach will open up space for you so that you can speak. And if you speak from, um, uh, a fight flight state, let me say it that way, your coach will advocate for your, for the wisdom that's within you that you haven't let come out yet. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. And that's, I think that's what the coaching did for me. Like I could kind of accept that if I have to die, if this has to get really bad, it was, it was sort of in the cards and I can accept that mm -hmm. and be like, you know, this was the human journey for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so coming out of the fight flight and not, you know, cause everybody talks about fighting cancer. Um, but what if you just sort of calmly and curiously watch what happens and, you know, um, soak up the lessons as they come to you. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. That's, uh, that we can't repeat that enough, right? Like curiosity, curiosity over judgment, curiosity over beating yourself up, curiosity over, yeah, being disappointed in yourself or being angry at yourself. Yeah. So, so important. Thank you. And one last question I have for you. Actually, I did ask this in private previous time uh, we, we talked, but uh, I want the listeners also to uh, hear about this. The reason why you named your podcast and your work Self-Compassionate mm -hmm. Professor and the, the idea and the concept of compassion behind it. And when I... To be honest, when I first came across your podcast, and that was before I uh, became a coach myself, I started practicing coaching. The self-compassionate professor, that's kind of like oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> I really love the way that you use the word compassion there. And it's like in your face, it's compassion. Okay. <laughs> It's yes. a very good reminder, even to see the name of the podcast and uh, your website. Even that that one word always makes me go like, "Yeah, I'd forgotten about that." Uh huh. Um, you know what this is making me think of? Um, my I don't know if you do this. I know a lot of coaches do this, and a lot of them have their clients do this. But that like the New Year word. Mm -hmm. Um. So my New Year word is home. Um, how can I feel more at home in my body? How can I feel more at home in my home? How can I feel more at home in the relationships with um, my family? Um, and so I'm thinking <clears throat> self-compassionate professor, when I first named it, I, uh, I, I felt good with it, but then I like got away from it. And I was like, I don't want it. Maybe, I, maybe that's not what I want. I feel like maybe that's uh, not a good, a good name for my podcast, a good name for my company. Maybe I don't want to do that. But that was me pushing myself away, right? Like this 
self-compassionate professor, this is the kind of professor I wish I had been. And um, it, so there's something about that word or that term, I guess I should say, that, that feels like home to me, self-compassionate professor. It's possible to be in academia and hold yourself and be kind to yourself and do things for yourself so that you can show up for other people and live a life that you love and are proud of. Um, what would I say about, I'm, I'm just trying to think more about the, the home piece. Um, I guess just that self-compassion, self-compassion for me feels like home, but people need to think about what feels like home for them. Right. And if it's not, I, I, not that I don't think everybody needs self-compassion because they do. <laughs> what I am saying though, is that don't run away from yourself because you believe that society should, uh, society wants you to do something else because you believe that you should keep up with those people over there. Right. Like I should be an academic that was always my thing. I should be an academic because I want to keep up with those academics over there. Once I came home and self-compassion was very much the entryway for me to come home to myself, that's when I wanted to be a coach, right? It's when I stopped caring what other people think. And honestly, when you say you're a coach, like, let's be honest, people are like, what? <laughs> just crap what is it even a coach anyway right and so you have to be really strong in yourself and feel really clear about who you are and what you want out of your life to announce that you're a coach I mean you really do yeah. and it could be and, and I would say for listeners it could be anything uh, for you you know maybe you want to you know pursue this certain career that your family does not like um is not impressed with um and it, you know, maybe you want to be a pastry chef and you've been, you know, a scientist. And I would just say, like, what is home to you? What feels right to you? Um, and I really, and I guess going back to the self-compassion piece, if you use self-compassion, you might be able to find a sort of a, a way to your home. Um, in not not in an easy way it's not going to be easy but in a way that at least allows you to live the life that you want um yeah I don't know if I made sense at the end but <laughs> there you go oh yeah you, you did it really touched me the way you explained it thank you thank you so much for your openness your compassion towards yourself and to other people and to people that you're helping and that's that's so needed in this world in today's world uh thank you for doing this work thank you for doing your podcast my pleasure thank you for uh yeah teaching us how how else we can do academia right and uh yeah and thank you so much for coming on to this podcast but before we go away i want to ask you like how can uh, listeners find you if they want to find you and what is your last message to them um okay I 
would say in last message to them, uh, check in with yourself. How do you feel in your life? Does your life, what is the climate of your life? Like, is there a word that describes the climate of your life? Um, because I know back in the day, my word would have been anxious. <laughs> so what, what is that thing that describes how you feel on a regular basis? And if you don't know, keep checking in, see what you can find. Um, and if you are interested in doing, I, I, you know, I could do a one-to-one -one consult. If you're interested in a, just like a 20 minutes chat to see if we're a good fit to work together, to see if it is indeed about nervous system regulation for you, um, you know, find me. I'm at uh, selfcompassionateprofessor.com. So yeah, you can just schedule a consult on the welcome page. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Danielle. And uh, let's continue the conversation another time. This was so much fun. So great to have you on the, on the podcast and hopefully see you next time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, be sure to follow Mind Your Own Revisions on social media and subscribe to my newsletter at mindyourownrevisions.com for weekly nuggets on well-being. Please also review this podcast on iTunes so that other academics can also find it. Until next time, bye!